It's very interesting this morning. I think God's trying to tell us something. Does anyone else get that feeling? <laughs> There's been a lot about serving. And it hasn't been planned out that way. It's, it's like the theme. But it's, uh, we haven't had a discussion like, you're going to say this and you're going to say this and you're going to say this. And it's just... Um, God's got something to say to us. And I hope we've all got open ears and hearts to, to listen this morning. My yes but, Jason, would be, um, I don't particularly love coming up here to speak, <laughs> but um, when God calls you and you know, gives you opportunity and I've had a little bit of training and you say yes and then see where God takes you in that. What did you want to be when you grew up? It's a question just about everyone's asked at some stage when they were a kid, or you ask your kids, or as uh, parents and others around glimpse uh, natural abilities and interests in kids. And we're fortunate in the era that we live in, last 100 years or so, that we've had many choices, many opportunities. We've had a lot of freedom in what we can, in a sense, choose to do. A lot of opportunity and someone born in Japarat, like Bob Menzies, could become the uh, Prime Minister of Australia. Or someone born in inner western Sydney, like um, Anthony Albanese, could become Prime Minister. As a society, though, I think we're forgetting a little bit the reason that we have these freedoms, why they're available and why others are not. And I think that reason is getting put to the side a little bit, maybe forgotten. More and more, the philosophy of culture is just to do the things that please only self, make self happy. When there's an emergency like floods, we champion the values of helping out others. But when there isn't, it seems like these values are slowly being eroded away. We have become such a free society that we're in the process of removing every restriction to our personal freedoms. We want to be as free as possible. How many things that were against the law of the land years ago, which closely followed God's law, have now been repealed, been made permissible? Abortion, same-sex relationships, same-sex marriage. Are the moral restrictions around divorce? Gambling, for instance, have also been relaxed. Other areas around racism and sexism, though, have also been relaxed, and that's for the better. And I'm not passing judgment here, I'm just an observation of how things have changed. Some for the better, some for the worse. The restrictions are removed in the search for happiness, but few find lasting happiness and continue in a lifelong search for it. And that sounds a bit like a life sentence to me, seeking happiness but not finding it. Wouldn't it be nice to not have to fight to find happiness? To not have to read dozens of books on philosophy to find the key? To not work big hours to get big money to get the next big thing that will satisfy, I can enjoy, at least for a time. Maybe happiness isn't all it's made out to be. Maybe, just maybe, we should be seeking something deeper, something longer lasting. 
Can you guess what it is? I want to say this morning it might be contentment. So how do we live out contentment? Well, let's see what we can find in Timothy and Titus this morning. And as we go through these verses, see if there's one thing that you can hold on to. Find that one thing, that one verse or thought that God gives you that you can meditate on this week, reflect on, and see if you can let it transform you just a little bit more into his likeness. Let's uh, pray as we start. Father God, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the truth that it um, shines on our hearts and our minds and in our lives, God. We pray that your word would transform us this morning to be more like you. Help us detangle from the sin and the things that hold us back and to run the race of perseverance that you've marked out for us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. So as we've been working our way through the books of Timothy and Titus in the Bible, uh, last week Simon shared through um, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're talking about prayer, about making petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving for all people, for everyone. That includes the kings and the rulers of the land, those in authority. In those days it was their Roman occupiers, and they were cruel to the Jews. And they tax them heavily. But they're still called to pray for them. So what Simon said last week about prayer is very applicable to serving, which is what I want to talk about what Paul brings us this week. You got that? Right? The end. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but more seriously, it comes from the same heart. It's the same, same place. Not only is Paul asking Timothy and Christians to pray for all people, but to serve them as well. They're complementary, and one, in a sense, validates the other because they go together. And as John says in 15, John 15, you can't be a part of Jesus and not show it. Believers bear fruit, and serving is a fruit of belief in God. If you don't have the fruit, You'll be cut out. And who wants to be cut out? Not me. But we don't do it from a place of fear, do we? We do it because we love God and because God loves us and we love like God loves. So we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6 today. And it concludes the section that Paul writes about social responsibilities. And that's a technical name. Um, in keeping with John 15, it's really a section of fruit. Fruit in believers' lives. And the three areas are widows, uh, presbyters or elders, and slaves. They're three very different groups of people. Uh, John Stott, a theologian, in his commentary in 1 Timothy, explains why they're together in this section. And they're connected by the word honour. It's the same Greek word as a verb or a noun that is used each time. And it's the Greek word is timeo. And it's not just honour with our attitude, with our words. It's not just a recognition. It's not just shaking hands. When Paul says honour, he means to do something for the other person, to serve them, 
So in 1 Timothy chapter 5.3, the church is called to give proper recognition, or the word in Greek is honour, real widows, and care for them. And when he says real widows, he defines that as of a certain age, not able to marry again, no family, women in real need. People in need are due honour and respect, not contempt. The church is called to serve those widows who had a real need, and in this way, honour them. And the second group was elders. Elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And verse 18, to summarise it, and pay them. Honour their time and work with recompense. So that's one reason why ministers are paid. It lets them devote their time completely to the work of God. And the third group, which we're going to look at more closely. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1. All who are under a yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. And the word there again is honour. Why? So that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. And this is a very important topic for Paul, and he says it again slightly differently, but the same in Titus. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive. How Christians live really matters. The authenticity of how our actions demonstrate our beliefs matters. The integrity of words matching actions is attractive and compelling. And as Simon just said about how we treat people down the street or how we look after um, volunteers who serve in our kitchen here by helping them out. It matters. It makes a statement. When a Christian slave fully respected or fully obeyed their master, that demonstrated the love of God. That demonstrates the full transformation power of God to change hearts. If they could love their masters... If they, sorry, if they could not love their masters, then they weren't living out of the full gospel. And you've probably heard this before as well, God loves everyone. As followers of Jesus, who walk in his ways, that's the call on us as well. We need to love everyone, not just those who love us. Not saying it's easy, not saying it's easy. The temptation for us is to put our jobs in a box, our jobs in a box, and say, our master or our bosses are not worthy of our full respect because it's just our job. There's no personal relationship. Or maybe they lack integrity. Maybe they don't respect me. But when we think like this, we're not following in Jesus' ways. There's still work to do in us. Still wonderful transformation that can take place in our hearts. What or who was Jesus? Master or servant? 
He was a servant, of course. And he taught his disciples to be just like him. As Christians, we need to come before Jesus and ask him, transform us, change us from the inside out, to be humble and courageous, just as he was. Verse 2 in 1 Timothy 6. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect either, but just because they're fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to their welfare, devoted to the welfare of their slaves. This is a complicated and a big issue for the early church. Can you imagine slaves who became followers of Jesus and came to a church were all of a sudden on some sort of level ground with their owners. And the owners would have, in a sense, lost some of their status, their authority. And Paul's here sort of trying to correct a little bit of that disrespect that might be coming across. not saying slavery is right, it was a huge issue, and it was, but it was entrenched culturally and politically in the day, and to dismantle it instantly would have had enormous uh, disruption socially and economically, and politically any signs of slave revolt were met with brutal force from the Romans. And when I say brutal, probably death. Paul could have petitioned the governor, called for protesters to force change for good. But that God works in different ways. There must be change on the inside of people as well, not just the change in systems and structures of nations. There was, and there is another way to do that. And you know the way that is, don't you? It's the way of love. (laughs) And I know it sounds like That, it's all very nice. Love is just love. It can never be explained. (laughs) It's a bit airy-fairy though, though, isn't it? But maybe it's more like this. This family, they work hard. They support each other. They love each other. It's more of a tough love, a hard-working love, a serving love. And Jesus is our perfect example of this, of course. This is what he said in Matthew 5 about loving our enemies. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So when he says, where is it? Love your enemies. It's not the first love, is it? It's the serving, the second one. And pray for them. So that's last week, this week, loving, praying, all together. And Jesus clearly demonstrated, of course, both by dying on the cross, an act of service for the sins of every person in the world. Paul's advice to Christian slaves who had Christian owners then was serve them better 
because they are your brothers and sisters. Do you not love them? So show them the honour they deserve. Work hard. Don't forget, because they believe too, they will be devoted to your welfare as well. It goes both ways. Love is two-way. And this is where circumstances begin to matter less and right relationship and honouring makes a huge difference. If the slaves and masters have Christ in common and a bond of unity and each is looking out for the welfare of the other, the legal structure of who owns who begins to matter less and less. And this is the peaceful and long-lived transformation of society that Paul and Jesus were looking forward to. This is God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. So to draw this first section together to a close a little bit, I think it goes something like this. Slaves, maybe workers, I know you're in a tough spot. Christ is freedom, yet you're not free in body. Continue to walk with God. Serve your master as if you were serving God, and in this way, you prove God's word to be true. Let your contentment come from your relationship with God, not from your circumstances. If your owner believes in Christ, then you'll be on a good wicket. So let's move on. What do we actually want in this world as a human race? What do we need? Is it not simply to have enough food, to have a comfortable shelter, be safe, maybe connected to family and friends? Here's some further thoughts from Paul to Timothy for him to teach. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we, if we have food and clothing, We'll be content with that. Wow, can it really be that simple? Is that all it takes to be content? There's probably one other thing, and that would be to add Jesus. (laughs) And isn't that, uh, you know, a number of songs that we sing? Christ is enough for me. In Christ alone, my hope is found. And just as we read about the slaves, it's not about what we have. This verse is simplistic, but it highlights the truth about possessions not counting for eternity. They can't bring contentment. What's the one thing that we can take out of the world? Our relationship with God. How should we live our lives then? Authentically, generously, courageously, with God. Or for stuff, so we have a comfortable life. Where is the true contentment to be found? Next, Paul warns us about the traps and temptations that take the place of God in our lives. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Pretty obvious, complete lack of contentment (laughs) in the end there. But don't get me wrong, it's good to have goals, good to have targets in your life, otherwise you'll end up with nothing as well. I think Proverbs might use the word sluggard or something like that. (laughs) And that's not Christ-like either. But don't make it your goal just to get rich. Don't let eagerness to get more and more money take over and squeeze out your love for God. The problem that Paul identifies here is where is our love? Is it loving money or loving God? Remember that love is not just the happy feeling. This is love that drives our behaviour in sacrificial ways. It takes priority in our lives. But if we love money this way, work hard for it, Paul teaches we run big risks of falling from faith and bringing grief into our lives. And please don't dismiss this, like, that this isn't applicable to you. It's applicable to all of us. We all need money. We all <laughs> think we want the next thing, don't we? If only I had this, my life would be so much easier. Paul also has a word for the more wealthy among us. And yes, I think that includes quite a number of us here as well. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Where is your hope? It's okay to be wealthy. It's okay to have money. It's okay to be financially secure. You may have been blessed with abundance. You may have been blessed with wisdom to conduct successful business. The caution is to not be arrogant and might add materialistic. Don't boast. Don't flaunt. Don't trust in wealth, for it is uncertain. It can be here one day, gone the next. Fire, flood, stock market crash, theft, or even identity theft these days, just to name a few. Hope in God is certain. Hope in God is eternal, not a shadow of a doubt. It is not material, materialism or hoping in wealth that brings contentment. It's God. And he provides everything from that for our enjoyment. You've heard about the chicken and the egg and which one comes first? Well, it's not like that. (laughs) It's definitely God first, stuff second. And Paul's not teaching here that we need to just get rid of everything and only have God. 
the question he's asking is what comes first? It's okay to have stuff. But maybe just hold it a little, little more loosely and love God more. He goes on to say, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of a life that is truly life. I read that again this morning and I was struck again, the coming age. Pursuit of money will draw you away from God's ways. Be generous with what you have. Do you have some money behind you? Don't overspend on yourself. Money can only get you so far. Be generous with others while you have it. And I did a couple of stories actually that just happened yesterday. I didn't know where to put them, but they, they were very uh, interesting. We, we had a, a garage sale here a couple of weeks ago, and there's some stuff left over, so I put it on a buy, swap, and sell. And there was a filing cabinet and a desk among a few items. And I moved them on to new owners yesterday. And the filing cabinet was um, someone who didn't have a car. And he said, uh, can you deliver it? I thought, oh, that's, that's extra. You know, you think that. But immediately, you know, texting back, yeah, I can do that. And, and in my selfish heart, right, then I'll be rid of it. It'll be done. <laughs> but also, you know, it helps this person out. And, um, and they've got what they need. So I delivered it yesterday. And they said, oh, you know, here's extra uh, $5 for petrol money and whatever in your time. Look. Wow, I'm getting blessed. They didn't have to do that. That's a, it's an extra blessing. And, and then later in the afternoon, a uh, person comes to uh, pick up the desk and a uh, very genuine, nice fellow who needed a desk and he'd had some trouble in his day. He'd run out of petrol and had to change the time when he could come in. And I said, yeah, no worries, that's all right. I'm not far away. I can you know, come back later and meet you. Just let me know. And uh, he came back and he gives me an extra $15 for just my time or whatever. And wow, <laughs> these people, they're not Christians, but they appreciate me serving them. And it's not, I'm not trying to highlight me, I'm just trying to highlight this is what happens when we live out uh, the gospel, when we live out um, serving other people. It has an impact. Has an impact. Final thoughts. Do you know God? Hope so. Good. Do you have a good relationship with God? Better. Do you pray for other people? Superb. Do you honour other people by serving and sharing with them, no matter your relationship with them? You are Christ-like. You have overcome the selfish nature that we are all born with. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, thank you for your love for us. We don't deserve your love. 
We're all sinners and gone away from you different times, Lord. Thank you that you love us. God, give us the strength. Give us the direction. Give us the insight to love and serve and pray for those around us, Lord. Help us die to our selfish desires. Help us be willing to just do the little things for the people around us so that your kingdom would come a little bit more on earth. God, help us consider what it is to follow you, to love you. As we live out this week, Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.